a neurodiverse relationship? Well, I've been in one for 30 years. I'm Lilo Bupert, and this is Touching the Tism, a podcast for anyone living with a partner on the spectrum. I've got tips, techniques, and lots of funny stories that will help you navigate and understand the sometimes confounding behaviors of your neurodiverse mate. Listen in and find out what Touching the Tism is all about. Welcome back to Touching the Tism, Stepping Off the Merry-Go-Round, or How to Resolve Conflict with Your Assy. Oops, Aspy. sorry. Hello, it's been a while since I did a podcast. I had a septoplasty on my deviated septum, and it took a few weeks to not sound like a snot factory. So here I am. That's lovely. <laughs> I do not have a cold but I still kind of sound like it, so uh, please forgive my voice. Hopefully it'll turn to, return to normal soon. As a gentle reminder, you are always welcome to contact me anytime at marriagetotheiceman at gmail.com, and I will happily write back to you, or check out my blog, marriagetotheiceman.com, anytime. I always love hearing from my listeners, and please, if you have a topic that you would like for me to discuss, I love suggestions. And if I have anything to say about it at all, I will happily throw it into the mix. I always want to take a minute to thank everybody that has written to me. It, it means so much that there's somebody out there listening to, to us bloviate, as Bill would say. It means so much. If I can help anyone with their neurodiverse relationship or neurotypical relationship for that matter, my job here is done. It is why I started this podcast in the first place. I really, really want to help young people avoid as many of our mistakes as possible. What about old people? Old people too. Okay. Any, any, anybody, anybody at all. Don't worry. So recently I had the pleasure of corresponding with a lovely person about a few things and have gotten some terrific perspective on intimacy from an Aspie perspective. I look forward to talking about sex on the spectrum in the future, but today I'd like to honor uh, this person who wrote to me and talk about the dreaded merry-go-round. This podcast applies to either ND relationships or NT relationships. Hopefully, anyone listening, no matter their relationship, will find this relatable and helpful. So you know the merry-go-round, right? It's that horrible, awful, unforgiving, unrelenting argument that you've had over and over and over again, and you never resolve it, or at least you don't think you do. If you've been married as long as we have, I'm here to tell you that we have been on that merry-go-round probably a thousand freaking times and sometimes it gets better and sometimes not so much so i've got my handy husband here to give us his perspective greetings from vulcan that's right and talk about conflict resolution and the dang merry-go-round hey bill how you doing honey good thanks for coming and doing this our kitty is here too so um there's a lot of purring in the background. Anyway, so I've got a lot of questions, and uh, 
I've got some good stories and hopefully I have some good tips on conflict resolution. So I'm going to start with Bill and uh, honey, I'd like to ask you to define a merry-go-round argument from your side of the fence. What does a merry-go-round argument look like to you? It looks like where you will ask me to do something either casually or it's a big project or whatever, and I either don't understand it or we go around and around in communication for trying to get across to me why we have to do such a thing or whatever the case may be. The simplest example of that is that, and you can speak to this further, the way you ask me to do something. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Honey, do you want to help me? No. Yeah. Don't ever ask your Aspie that. Don't ever ask them if they want to. Say, will you? Will you please help me? No. Well, that's often, a sadly, <laughs> a response I get. Yay, me. Um, but there are times, of course, where he is willing to help. But if you ask if he wants to, the answer is going to be no. Every time. So just right out of the gate, don't do that to yourself. Uh, NT partners, don't ask your Aspie if they want to. It's too logical, and nine times out of the ten, they don't. So here's my perspective of the merry-go-round. So for me, the merry-go-round argument is that one you've had, you know, dozens, hundreds, possibly thousands of times in 30 years in our relationship. Uh, there was a period in our relationship where things were very, very challenging. And the merry-go-round is, it's that conflict that you just can't seem to resolve. You know how this is going to go. You know. You know what's going to be said. You know you're going to get your feelings hurt, or in Bill's case, his feeling. Um, you know, things are going to go south real fast. Tempers are going to raise. You're not going to fix anything. There's going to be no resolution. Both parties have had it. And it's the same stuff that's been said so many times. And yet there is zero or little often resolution. That is the merry-go-round for me. An extremely frustrating place to be in um, our relationship. And I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you've been together with your partner for any time at all, you can push buttons like nobody's business. And unfortunately, you know exactly the wrong things to say to continue that merry-go-round argument. And it just, no one wins, okay? No one wins in a merry-go-round argument. So a big example of a merry-go-round argument for us involved... um, an awful, horrible miscommunication through the years. We're talking long years, like 10 years of merry-go-round for us because of miscommunication. We did not know, as you, my listeners know, that Bill, you know, was um, neurodiverse. And because of that, I didn't know how to communicate effectively with him. And I also didn't help us any because not only did I not communicate effectively, I was critical. And let me tell you, uh, partners, if that's something you can avoid, trust me, it doesn't help you. 
So my story goes something like this. You know, Bill and I are talking. Bill's getting out of the military. He's retiring. We've decided, you know, we're going to find that forever home. <laughs> you see how that worked out. How many times have we moved? Is it 13, 13 times? With military and, and 20, post-military, yeah. In 24 years. In 24 yep. years, yeah. Yep. 13 times of military. No, So in all the... In all our entire marriage, it'll be 13 times in 30 years. So Bill's getting ready to retire. Both of us were brought up in Florida. I was partially brought up in Tennessee as well. We were pretty sure we didn't want to return there, but we weren't really sure where we wanted to go. So Bill says, I want a farm. Well, I grew up on a farm. I know what a farm is. A farm is cows and chickens and pigs and fences and vegetables and gardens and canning and, you know, property. So farm, I can do farm. I can do farm. No problemo. So Bill says, let's do a farm. So we take a 3,000 mile road trip to find where we want to live. We went all through the West. It was lovely. We had a great time. Uh, together exploring towns and we did a lot of demographics like homeschooling laws and other assorted laws that would affect us would taxes. it be grants pass oregon would it be missoula right. montana would it be northern idaho would it be southern idaho would I mean, it be part of wyoming would it be nevada yep we we really we, we we really did our homework and this was long before gps you know we had MapQuest. you know back then so we map quested ourselves to death and we spent a lot of time together, uh, you know, talking about what we wanted and what our future looked like. And I thought we, I thought we had it. I thought we had it in the bag. So we move, we finally decide on Northern Idaho, long story, how we got there, but I won't bore you with those details. And we get there and we've got the house and we've got the acreage. We've got the horses and we've got the garden. We got all that stuff, right? And I am working my ever-living ass off. I had two elderly grandparents to take care of. I homeschooled four kids. I had a big home. I had acreage, garden, huge, huge garden. All of it. You know, everything you can imagine. And, you know, Bill, Bill helped, but not like what I was thinking. You know, if I asked him, Bill, hey, honey, do you want to help me weed the garden? It was no. And I'm like... You know, my minions weren't old enough to be out there taking the place of a grown man. So I was, it was frustrating. It was frustrating. So uh, at this point, we still didn't know Bill was an Aspie. And we went to counseling, and that didn't work out very well. But, the, but we did get some good advice, which was Bill needed to go back to whatever he normally did. So we ended up, he got some job offers, and one of them was in Arizona. So we moved to Arizona, and I think farm. You know, Bill wants a farm. So I did exactly. We want a farm. We we wanted a farm. So I did exactly the same thing over again. I set up the house. I set up the pastures. I set up the barn. I set up the garden. I got cows. I got, I got, it, I, I got chickens. I got it all, right? I had the farm. And again, working my ass off and we never had more arguments together than when we lived on quote unquote the farm 
So I'm perplexed. I'm thinking, what? I, I don't get it. What's the problem? Why are we arguing? Why are we not getting along? Why doesn't he want to weed the garden? Well, it turns out, in Aspie language, Bill really meant he wanted land. He's not a huge people fan. So he wanted to really be away from people. Because people suck. You know. I mean, from an Asperger's perspective or neurodiverse perspective, um, socializing isn't always their favorite thing, right? Even, even you think people suck. Sometimes. Yes, I do, even though I need them. So Bill really meant he just wanted to be away from people. And, of course, we came to a crossroads, as you can imagine, sort of a deal-breaker fork in the road. And I'm like, look, you know, I, I don't know what's happening here, but uh, this is obviously not working. And I talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and questioned. It was like the Spanish Inquisition. It was exhausting. Yes. And so by the time we got to the bottom of the barrel, the problem was Bill really meant he wanted land to be away from people. And he had said farm. And farm, in my mind, meant Something very, very different than what it meant to him. So once I figured that out, or we figured that out, that was it. We were good to go. Because I never will make that mistake again. And I know when Bill says he wants this or he wants that, to talk and communicate about what he really means. You know, what's your dream self versus your real self, that's... Certainly something we talk about a lot in our, uh, in our family. So anyway, moving on, this is a really good example of the merry-go-round and how um, miscommunication can lead to a lot of conflict. So with that being said, I'm going to ask Bill a question here. So honey, tell me, and please be as detailed as you can. I know it's, it's hard for you, but... Tell us sort of your perspective on how miscommunication can lead to conflict and if you can further um, give us some details on that question, if you can also tell us how um, the differences of an ND communicates with an NT. Basically, if you could just answer your perspective on how communication leads to conflict and the differences between the communication of a neurodiverse person versus a neurotypical person. So from a neurodiverse perspective, especially in the narrow slice that I inhabit, we're very logical beings. We're not as empathetic as women are, or you could say most neurotypicals. And we really like to get to the point instead of beating around the bush and sometimes, even when we're approached logically, we don't quite understand what you're saying, and we can get confused unless the terms are understood, unless there's a consensus. So it could lead to a merry-go-round. For instance, what Lilo just described in the macro between a farm and just wanting to be separated from people. By the way, between North Idaho and the desert, the advantage is not only is there not snow, but you don't have to grow a lot if you don't want to in the desert, where you have to fight a lot of what naturally grows if you're not in the desert. But I think that the resolution over time for us has always been 
a sense that we have to communicate things clearly and know what the end goal is that we seek, and we didn't always do that. That's right. And neurotypical partners, I'm here to tell you that it takes an enormous amount of concentration on your part because I observe neurotypical couples a lot. Almost all our friends are neurotypical. And I am reminded of how different my relationship is with my neurodiverse husband. What might be completely natural for a neurotypical couple is not natural at all for a neurodiverse couple. And sometimes I feel like I have to give Bill the Spanish Inquisition to get to exactly where I know where he's coming from. Of course, that's exhausting for him. It's exhausting for me. But if I don't do that, it can it can lead to a lot of heartache. And we had, I would say, 10 pretty challenging years. Now that I know that I have to basically ask questions and communicate to the nth degree to make sure I understand where he's coming from, most of the time we're good to go. But that period, since we didn't know he, you know, was neurodiverse um, and that there was that huge communication, it definitely caused a lot of problems. And I and I think a lot of what we experience isn't just the neurodiverse relationship. It's men versus women in communication. You know, men want to fix things. Women want to vent. Men are logical. Women are emotional. Uh, some people are more visual. Some people are more auditory. Um, there's a lot of differences between men and women, and a lot of what I'm saying applies to pretty much anybody. But when you have a neurodiverse relationship, you need to take men, for example, and women and put it on steroids because the communication challenges can be vast. So anyway, uh, another example of a merry-go-round uh, we had just the other day. And I want to go through what it feels like to be on that merry-go-round because it is very unfun. You know, it's if you hear the purring, that's uh, our kitty. So basically, we're having the same argument that we've had a million times. I happen to be a huge gardener. I'm really big into plants. And we had a, a freeze, freeze warning, frost warning. And... I uh, am currently renting, long story, but sold my house at our house at the top of the market, and we're currently renting, and I have big pots, you know, of plants in the backyard because I don't own the house that I, I live in, and of course, out of nowhere, there's a freeze warning, and I'm like, oh no, and I can't pick all that crap up by myself, so I needed help, and I made the horrible mistake of saying, honey... Do you want to help me? No. You knew the answer, right? So anyway, I rephrased my question and said, darling, will you help me? Yes. And of course, he was, he st it started out well, okay? But it didn't end well because he could not see, first of all, he doesn't care about plants, not like I do. And he didn't see the logic of having to bring the plants in. Well, I had just planted a whole bunch of tomatoes and peppers and stuff, and I didn't want them to freeze. It cost a lot of money. I went to a lot of effort. But wouldn't they have been warm if you set them all on fire? Right. This is this is who I live with, okay? Imagine my life. Anyway, so he didn't really want to help, 
So that was a problem. He didn't really feel like it was um, going to be a productive thing. He's not involved in it. He's not attached to plants. Things did not go well. But I do all the heavy lifting for her garden. He does. He does. But see, the issue here is you can often get your, uh, your Aspie neurodiverse partner to help you, but will they do it happily? You know, that's, that's the problem. When I work with other neurotypical people, you know, we're talking, laughing, working physically is not a problem, but getting your neurodiverse partner to do something they don't want to do. Whoa. I'm here to tell you is not easy. And we got on the merry-go-round and we got on it good. And I'm here to tell you that if you can avoid the merry-go-round straight up, do it because it is so destructive, right? It's uh, everyone feels so defeated after one of those arguments. You feel so frustrated because you just know it's the SOS. It's the same thing you've argued about 50 million times. You know exactly how it's going to end. And it's, it's almost like having a hangover, an emotional hangover, because you're like, ugh, you don't really want to even talk to each other. You feel upset. You feel drained. It's, a, it's very damaging, okay, to relationships. So I'm going to turn this over to Bill for just a minute and explain, ask him to explain sort of his side of the equation and and how the merry-go-round plant story went for him. So I really despise doing illogical things, and that's what she wanted to do in this case. And it turns out that the next morning, I looked at the temperatures that night, it did not freeze. So we had done it all for nothing. But nonetheless, what I have to take into account is that my wife is the most important person to me in the world, and what I should have done is I should have just said... (laughs) Yes, my love, and just continued on and did it. Right. I mean, if you can get to that point, isn't that a great place to be? You just, honey, will you help me with the plants? Yes, my love. Yeah, yes, my dear. I mean, that's where you, that's what you really want. I don't want my husband to be a slave or a minion or anything like that. Or a serf. Or a serf or any of that. But sometimes physically, I need help. And, I have to preface things that I know he's not going to enjoy with a lot of preparation. Like I texted early in the day, oh, my dear, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to ask you to help me bring in the plants. And I know exactly how this is going to go. And I even cooked his favorite meal, Cuban. Oh, my God. She made me the best Cuban dinner the following day. It was Wunderbar. No, that night. What are you talking about? That night. Oh, that night. Plants. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that night. Yeah. So I tried really, really hard to avoid the merry-go-round. Didn't work. So sometimes that happens. Anyway, so what do you do? What do you do when you're on the merry-go-round? It cures with time. Yes, it does get better. It does get better with time, at least most of the time. But here are ways that we have coped with the horrible, awful, insipid merry-go-round. So first I want to counsel you to spend time apart. Don't try to resolve it. Don't. 
Step away. Step away. Step far away. Take some time. Breathe, meditation, yoga, whatever you need to do. Leave them alone. Take some time away for yourself. Gather your thoughts. Think about the issue extremely logically. Remember, logic up, emotion down. That's how you are going to appeal to your neurodiverse partner. It is so sexy when you talk that way. Well, he taught me that. So I need for you to think about that. Don't try to get in a big row about how things are going or yelling. or No, no. Step away. Step far away. The British would call it a row. Okay, whatever. So don't get too close. Uh, step away. Give some time. Get your emotions down. Get your logic up. And here are some things that I feel have really helped us. Remember... Neurodiverse people get sensory overload very easily. And if you're already in a heightened emotional state, the last thing you want to do is go, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't work very well at all. They're not going to hear a single thing you say, and it's just going to inflame the situation. You're going to add gasoline to the fire. So step away, calm down, bring up your logic, bring down your emotions, and something that I've found quite effective, and you know, you might chuckle, is email. Because in an email, you can formulate your thoughts and you can sit down to the computer and logically write out why you feel like something's gone horribly wrong. Why you feel maybe make your case, basically. You can build your case through email with logic and say, you know, this is why my feelings are hurt. This is why I feel you should have done this or you should have done that. I should have done this. I should have done that. It can be a logical experience where you're removed from the heat of the moment and you can read and reread and read and reread your email until you feel it's kind. You know, you can read it until you feel like you've made a logical argument in a kind way and you're not yelling or calling names or anything like that. Text can sometimes also replace that, although I do feel like they are usually more heated. Um, we also like to take walks because, as you well know, a lot of neurodiverse people do not like to look you in the eye, right? They're not into face-to-face -face communication. They find it threatening or overwhelming and walks, it's like two ships on the same ocean. You know, you're walking next to each other. You're talking. Nobody's staring each other down. And we found that we can resolve a lot of our issues through a good old-fashioned three-miler walk while we hash out whatever we're, we're trying to work through. Um, writing notes. If you're into the old-fashioned way, that can be something really effective where you leave a note on the desk, maybe the following day or on the pillow. Hey, honey, this is how I felt about this situation. That can be very constructive. Again, it gives you time, time to think, time to bring the emotion down, the logic up. Another thing I've found really effective is giving up the need to be right. You know, let's face it, in five years from now, is it going to matter if you were right, probably not. It probably isn't going to matter at all. So 
try to put into perspective the gravity of the situation? Does it require you to be right? What will you benefit from being right? Uh, Time limits on discussions. You know, honey, for the next 15 minutes, and let me tell you, there's been many times in our 30-year relationship where Bill has actually looked at his watch and said, you have three minutes. I'm not even joking. So time limits can be something that you can set up ahead of time. Honey, I need 15 minutes of your time to discuss my grievances. Would you please sit and listen to me? Does that include the prelude of the groan? Oh, anyway. So this can be really helpful for you so that you just don't go on and on and on. Because as we all know, after a while, men in general just tune you out. And if you have someone who's neurodiverse, they're already overstimulated to start with because you guys are in an argument. And then when you lay it on them thick, yeah, it's not helpful. So time limits can help. The rules of engagement. Okay, I would like 15 minutes of your time, and I do not want to be interrupted for the first five minutes. For five minutes, I would like to speak freely without being interrupted at all. And then the next five minutes are yours, and then the five minutes after that, you and I are going to banter back and forth, and we're not going to call each other any names. We're, we're going to attack the problem and not each other. That That's really important. Do not attack their character. Do not call them names. Do your level best to stay calm and centered so that you can make some progress because we want to get off the merry-go-round. That's the point, right? Another thing I found really helpful is stick to the matter at hand. Don't bring up crap they did three years ago. That's that's not going to help. Stay pointed on the issue, that issue, the very issue that you have had difficulty with. Try to work on that instead of branching out to, you know, you did that to me three years ago. That's not going to do anything. And look to blame the problem and not the person. Blame doesn't help anybody at all. It doesn't get you anywhere. It just keeps you on the merry-go-round. And lastly, I'd like to suggest no personal attacks. Like poor Bill, uh, (laughs) (laughs) has been called quite a few names by me over 30 years. And once I call him a name, he always says, uh, my job here is done, (laughs) you know, which of course just makes me want to yeah, choke him. Uh, so do your level best not to do any personal attacks because, and it took her a long time to discover this. I cannot be offended. That, that is certainly the case. You know, I don't know if that is a neurodiverse thing or if that's a bill thing, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter. He's completely impervious to any insults I might throw down the pike. So I must, uh, appeal to his logic or all is lost. So now I'd like to go into something a tiny bit negative. So there's sometimes that no matter how hard you try You'll always have that ridiculous merry-go-round argument and it will never go away, which seems pretty debilitating. And that's when maybe you need to bring in a professional. Um, Sometimes neurodiverse counselors who specialize in neurodiverse couples can be very, very helpful. 
So I highly recommend that if you're just having the same merry-go-round argument all the time, that you bring in a a professional and and give it a go. And you need to decide right then and there if that uh, merry-go-round argument is a deal breaker. Is it a deal breaker? What you're arguing about, is it the end of the line? If not, well, you might not, you might just need to let it go. And if it is a deal breaker, I hate to say this, but sometimes things are just not fixable. No matter how hard you try and you either live with it or you leave. Now that's a lousy choice and I'm not an advocate for divorce myself. The problem with divorce is you often end up attracting the same package with different wrapping because you didn't do the personal work you needed to, to after the divorce to improve yourself and to attract someone different. And if you have children, you're never really divorced. Never. And it's it's so difficult for everyone involved. There are definitely reasons to be divorced, you know, to be divorced, abuse, you know, we could go on and on. But the focus of my show is not divorce. It is to work things out. Because in the end, it makes you a stronger and better person, if you ask me. If your spouse is a good person, and my spouse is a good person, he's a good man. Have we had our difficulties? Absolutely. But in the end, I compare him to other people out there, and I'm here to tell you there's a, an enormous amount of positives. And no matter how challenging our communication might be or how difficult the merry-go-round might be, we keep pecking at it to try to get past it because he's worth it. Now remember to peck at it instead of me. Oh my God. All right. So one other little thing I'd like to bring out is uh, saying that is uh, I always have the statement that we're all Swiss cheese people, right? We look for external things to fill our emotional needs, our Swiss cheese holes, right? And when we do that to ourselves, we're not helping anyone. Work on yourself so that you fill your own Swiss cheese holes so that when you come to the table and your merry-go-round argument, you are as secure as you can possibly be. You're as emotionally stable as you possibly can be. You have worked on your own issues so that you're not bringing into that relationship things from your childhood or whatever has happened to you in your life. We all have that, of course. But first and foremost, especially in a neurodiverse relationship, you need to fill your own Swiss cheese holes. It is pertinent. It is so important that you do that in a regular, you know, neurotypical relationship. But it is paramount in a neurodiverse relationship because our neurodiverse partners cannot always fill our needs. It is impossible because they are often missing things that we have naturally. And that's okay. They have other things that they do that we can't do. But you absolutely positively have to be focused on taking care of yourself and filling your own emotional needs so you can bring as much as you can to the table in your relationship. And that applies to just about anybody. So basically, um, that was our merry-go-round for today. Honey, do you have anything you'd like to add? Keep on keeping on. I mean, this you know, struggle is life. And without struggle, 
we would not improve ourselves without failure. We wouldn't get better. So I guess you have to look at struggle as a fine wine that just makes you better. Well, and you like wine. I must be the most expensive wine on the planet. I think that you are. <laughs> the most expensive and exquisite. Ooh, well, I'll take that. So, Bill and I thank you so much for listening. We are honored that you spent your valuable time with us today. I hope so much that we have given you some relatable stories and some good tips to get off that damn merry-go-round. In the meantime, I'm Lilo Bupert, and this is Touching the Tism. Oh, and um, one last thought. If you can't get off the merry-go-round, you can always push your partner off. <laughs> just, just kidding. Sort of. Okay, until next time. Thanks so much.